This is Authority Optional, Leadership Beyond the Rulebook. Today, Josh and I got our first caller and an opportunity to test our philosophies and territory that's not totally familiar to us. The challenge? How to build a culture between a headquarters and a field team with ideologically and geographically separated teams. Listen in and judge for yourself. All right, listeners for uh, Authority Optional. We f- we have our first caller on the line with a challenge that they're looking for some some insight on that hopefully Josh and I can provide shed some light on. Uh, so Rich, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hello, thank you. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> first time ever caller. History. <laughs> I don't know that qualifies for long time listener, but because <laughs> we haven't been on long, but <laughs> I uh, I appreciate that anyway. Thanks for following the show and and definitely thanks for calling in and giving us an opportunity to uh, see if we can fix something. Or at least I I think I made this quote unquote promise. I'm not promising that it's going to be great advice. (laughs) (laughs) It will be our best effort and uh, hopefully we'll at least give a direction to go. And ideally, we'll have a couple options for you. You get to pick if you even want to implement any of this stuff. All right. So, Rich, lay it on us. What's uh, what's the challenge? Yeah, so I was listening to, um, I think it's episode four, um, and you were talking about team cohesion. And I, I kind of was thinking, okay, here's a couple of guys who work in the office, and they're talking about office teams and call centers. But um, out in the real world, and uh, other people's real world, I don't want to diminish yours, but um, you know, you have you have some distance and you have some cultural barriers between you, maybe as management and leadership and sort of the boots on the ground. So... Um, in this situation, I wanted to just kind of pick your brains and see how you'd apply your philosophies to a construction scenario. So the scenario that um, came to mind is, you know, so you and Josh are our project managers for a job that's three or four hours away by car. Um, and you've got a team of a, a, a superintendent, maybe an assistant on that project, and then 30 subcontractors. And it's just kind of a world where I... You know, some of the things you've talked about so far about, you know, gathering people's intents and having these, you know, the powwow meetings with them and some of these soft skill things like, you know, personality tests. And uh, I'm curious to see if you'd kind of double down on that and go that route or if the change of culture and, um, you know, geographical challenges, you know, changes your strategy at all. And you also have kind of a field versus office um, stigma, maybe maybe as a beginning sense of distrust or disrespect that okay you're the office guys or you're the field guys or you're the you know the ivory tower guys or whatever. But um, you know, curious it, it maybe in your own histories if you've had scenarios like that and how you've dealt with them or how you would deal with this one as a, a hypothetical. So take it away, you guys. That is definitely different than the world that Josh and I are usually talking about. Like, and, and you're right. There is a significant extra challenge there. So I have a couple of questions for you. I would say there is one parallel, which is it, when we got into the pandemic, we had to manage remotely. And it sounds like the the people like you're, you're talking supervisors, foreman, a project manager that's out in the field, something like that. If you have three or four employees that actually report directly to you and then you have the subcontractors, that's not entirely dissimilar to managing a remote team. I agree with that. 
regarding the subcontractors, is it a different group of people per at like every job or is it the, essentially the same group of subtractors every time, subcontractors every time? It's going to be more different than similar. So you might have two or three subs that may go with you from job to job. If you're, if you're going somewhere else, you know, maybe if you did something in the same town back to back might not be, um, might not be a lot of turnover, but in this case, yeah, you probably only have a couple of people who are familiar with you. Maybe you can take it a step further and say you go to a new city and we've had to do this multiple times. You know, you go to someplace on the coast, we go to Portland, we go to Charleston, South North Carolina, or South Carolina, I mean, and um, you have to get an entirely new sub base, complete strangers. So is the person who is um, running the subcontractors, is that the same person every time? Um, yeah, that's, that's somebody you're familiar with. It doesn't have to be the same person each time. You might get a hand out a project with a new superintendent. But that's at least an employee is familiar with your, your processes. So you have the potential for a brand new team every time you you go into a new project. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Certainly a new permutation. That's that's gonna keep, that's gonna be a huge challenge to keep a culture. Um, so that my first my first volley into this is the the culture has to start in the, in the home office, wherever the jobs are coming from. So, and in, and another question for you, Rich is, are you, um, are you actively vested in this? Like, are you in, are you in the field or are you admin? Like what's your role in all this? Um, so my role is, uh, I'm actually the controller of the company. So, um, I'm not the one doing the direct management. Um, but I'm part of the company culture you're talking about in the office, and um, part of kind of unifying best practices among multiple project managers um, with various degrees of tenure with the company. So some people know our processes, some people don't, some people are kind of learning and making stuff up as they go. And others are relying on what they knew from 30 years of some other company. Mm. So I'm curious, yeah, what, what your take is on how you'd handle that sort of um really without any other context of like, all right, you're dropped into this blank scenario and how would you handle it from ground one, you know, ground zero, step one. Okay. So I'll, I'll say this number for me, number one would be the, the home team has to have a, a cohesive culture. It has to start with the place where the jobs are coming from. So that's, that's you. It's everybody else that's doing anything administrative, whoever's running the company, whoever's, you know, doling out the jobs or whatever, that that group has to have a culture for it to radiate outwards. And if, because if that's like, if that's broken, if that, if there are people in there that aren't, it's, it's hard to kind of like dive into the, the idiosyncrasies of it without knowing like each individual, what their role is, how, how they contribute to the company. But the overall, the overall thought is, you need to have a super strong culture from there because then it, it rubs off that whoever's, whoever becomes in charge of the field team, they then are carrying that culture with them into another state, another job with new people. If it could be a new scenario, a new iteration every single time, then somebody has to be the keeper and go, this is how we roll. Go yeah. Ahead. And so controlling what you can control is going to be really important in this scenario as well. So if you have 20 or 30 subcontractors who are going to come in and, and I'm, 
I don't know the scenarios, but I'm, I'm going to make assumptions. Let's say that you have a, a build where they're going to be working for you on a large construction project and they're going to come in and do drywall for 90 days. You're not going to build a culture in 90 days with those subcontractors. Your focus needs to be on the team that actually reports back to you at the main office and building that culture to where they feel supported and they can actually talk about what's happening with the subcontractors, mistakes, angles, different different ways to engage those subcontractors. I think the end game for me is really building the relationship with the people that I do have influence over and then giving permission for them to do something similar and build those relationships with subcontractors. Because if you go into an area and you're going to have a bid for a building and you have subcontractors who know you, know your business, do know your processes and, and processes and what it's about, it's going to enable you to put in a more accurate bid. It's going to make sure that you are working with the subcontractors who buy into that philosophy again and again, and it's going to end up creating a, a better situation, better timelines, an overall project management nightmare could become very simple if you have a consistent team of subcontractors that can come in and get the work done and uh, they know you and what you're about. So it's not so much the one job philosophy as it would be for me to take care of those. What I think you mentioned three or four people that directly would report back to you. And then it's really the faith that you develop and put into them around your company culture to where subcontractors want to work with your organization because they know it's going to go smoothly. It's going to be on time. They're going to get paid. And, uh, and that's, what's going to develop your professional reputation. So Rich, how do you know that the, like, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's reasons, but like, just, just so I know that the lay person, like, how do you know that the cultures are dramatically different and that there is a disparity between field and what, what, what should we call a home team? Let's call it home team and field team. Like, how do yeah, you, how do you know differences? Um, I guess it's, it's hard to explain without getting into like specifics of, of an individual, but you know, let's say it's, you know, expectations of like when to be on site or, um, leaving early on a Friday or when, you know, I'm traveling up on a Monday, but I got kind of a late start and, you know, basically, this sort of quid pro quo in the field that's I'll watch out for you. You watch out for me and kind of don't report stuff back to headquarters because, you know, they'll, they'll ding my PTO for that, or they'll get on my case about, you know, end of the year performance or something because maybe it's valid that we should, but you kind of, you kind of protect those in the field um, first. And you know the, the, the offices, Sort of the being counter, um, scorekeeper, punisher. I think, and that, I don't. I don't think that's the reality. I think that's the perception. So, um, project managers have to kind of toe the line or straddle the line of like, okay, I'm watching out for you when you're essentially not compliant. You know, you're like not holding up your end of the deal, and you watch out for me when I'm not, and. But then things come to a head when things get bad enough that somebody's actually burnt out or there's real impacts. And then um, it becomes like, a, well, you you know, you told on me sort of thing. It's like, it's not supposed to be a, you know, a parental relationship to a couple of kids. It's supposed to be a, you know, a team. So, um, I, but I think, 
that's just a, that's just a kind of a common thing. You know, you, you look up videos of, you know, construction, these guys, you know, goofing around on a job site or something, doing unsafe stuff they shouldn't do. And that's just kind of like a, you know, or even subcontractors, they don't want to, they don't want to do their paperwork or sign their contracts and they want to show up and, and do the work and get paid. And so you maybe make special arrangements or deals with people. It's just kind of, they're used to handshake deals. They're used to maybe private work or residential work that they can just talk to somebody word of mouth and get a check for showing up for a day. It's, it's just kind of a, you're battling a, a, a long standing culture of this is how things have been done. And, you know, the, the person trying to dock my PTO for me, you know, missing a half day on a Friday, that's the bad guy. So there's a little bit, there's a little bit of a communication wall there or a filter maybe. And that's, I think you're going to get, you're going to get a dose of that every time you create a new team. Like it's impossible to create a culture like Josh was saying, it's, it's hard to do that in 90 days. It maybe it's not impossible, but it's definitely difficult with a new group, new group of people every time. And if you keep encountering some trends that happen with subcontractors that they all kind of have similar expectations, then in my opinion, the key would be to have the person who is running the show out in the field. They have to be very clear with company expectations for this particular job. So if there's a disparity between field and home team, the the conduit is the person who's running the job. That that person is going to be super key in getting anything aligned, organized, getting people on the same page. The leader is everything. So whoever's out there guiding things, telling them what jobs to do, telling them when to be where, whatever, they have to be the keeper of the culture. And whether that person is new every time or not, like if you guys are, you know, hiring a new version of that every time, then that falls on the home team, whoever's doing the hiring or the directing of the person who's going to run the show out in the field. That person is so key to making sure that things are cohesive. So, I mean, that, like I said, if yeah. that person's different every time, that's, oof, that's, that's going to be rough. If it's, if it's mostly the same person, or maybe it's the same two or three people, it's going to be much easier to get them on board because as I mentioned before, you want, you want culture to be super tight at home so that it radiates outwards. And if the leaders of the field teams are at least the same two or three people every time, you at least have a hope of creating a culture that will radiate They'll go out there in the field and they'll go, listen, guys, this is how we roll in this company. Is that the case, Rich? Is it is it a situation where you're working with the, the project manager, I think is the, the title you used. Are you working with the same superintendent or project manager over and over again? Or is that person also new every time? So the superintendents are um, kind of assigned to each job and a project manager is as well. So if a new job is coming up, it just kind of depends on who's going to become available at the time of that start date, you know, yeah. like what, if everybody else is working on other jobs, it's going to become obvious who's taking that job. It's not pairs necessarily. They may have, they may have worked together in the past, but it's, um, it's a bit of a, of a draw really. Let me come at this from another angle. Are the, are the superintendents or we'll call them project managers. Are the project managers employees of the company? Yep. Okay. So they are permanent. The subcontractors well, are not employees. Correct. They are hired. The, the, the person you're talking about is the conduit. That's the PM. 
That's the PM. Okay. Yeah. So the PMs are permanent and they are employees. So yeah. that, that clears but things I'm, up. Those are the, I'm kind of curious about like, let's go one layer besides the philosophies of what needs to be in place. But like, if you guys are either the PMs themselves or managing those PMs, it's day one. Like, what are some things that we talk about needing to have an established culture? Well, let's talk about how to do it. So is it, are you, are you big writers? Are you an email kind of person? Are you showing up on site and having conversations or bringing in pizza or you having phone calls? Like, what are your ideas? Are you having people sign stuff? Are you, you know, are you trying to do instructional videos or manuals on things? <laughs> or are you, yeah. Or are you going to, yeah. How, how are you going to, I guess, roll out your plan? Yeah. Great. Uh, that's a fantastic question. Uh, number one, I'm wildly opposed to web-based trainings. <laughs> I have uh, trauma from previous job. They don't, they don't scare me. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm going to go, I'm going to opine from the leader of the, the, the PMs. That's I'm the person who's in charge of those guys. And I'm going to talk to them about what are the normal problems that you see? What, what is, what are the normal complaints? Do they have complaints about home office? Do they talk about us? Like the, we're the ivory tower. Like I'm going to dig, I'm going to dig. Like I'm looking for the core of the earth for as much information as I can get out of those guys as I possibly can. What are the problems? What are the upsides? Um, and then I'm going to ask them, what do you think we can do? Because there's a, there's a, there's a gap here. Good. Yeah. This goes back to what, what I said at the beginning is these are the core people who actually work for you. They're going to be the keepers of your culture in the field. This is where I would invest time. I would invest dollars if, if need be to make sure that those people who are out in the field that are my, my, uh, project managers are engaged and feel supported if they have to go out in the field and, you know, if they have to live somewhere six months or a year at a time on a large project, I want to make sure that they feel as much of part of this culture as possible. Uh, and then they are the link. And this is no different than any other leadership situation where I'd be looking at development for them, management training, leadership training. I would also be looking to them and having them highly vocal if possible, creating that, that space where we can kick around what are the policies and processes that need to be in place to make sure that subcontractors do have a clear expectation of contract. Contracts have to be signed. Nobody's getting paid without a signed contract when you're building multi-million dollar structures. So, you know, those expectations need to be ironclad and that accountability is what that project manager would provide. Yeah. So if we're, if we're looking at this from a, how do you, how do you nail this down to a step-by-step process? Step one, owner slash leader of the company needs to understand and be aware of what the culture is, where the gaps are, and what should probably happen. And that's just starting with the home office. If the culture at the home office is fairly strong, let's just assume that for, for we'll call that scenario A, culture at home office, super strong or relatively strong. Then that means that the person who's in charge of the PMs, the people that go out on the field, that person needs to be talking to the PMs and going, what are the problems? Where, where are the gaps? What's happening? Cause I'm going to, I'm going to jump ahead real quick and say, if I'm a PM, I am the guy who is much likely to let people off early on Friday. I am the guy who's much more likely to let it go as long as the work is getting done according to schedule. It's all about the result. So just as a flashing over to a different kind of scenario, 
when I was running teams in a contact center, my leaders did not have to work 40-hour work weeks as long as their teams were taken care of, the floor was covered, nobody was pissing each other off, and their work was getting done. Like, results matter. And in, in that case, I was very flexible. That didn't mean that sometimes people didn't work 50, 60-hour weeks because their work wasn't done. And they we checked in constantly and we knew where that where we landed on that. I'm, I'm picturing... Rich is a controller of a company kind of clenched in the in the nether regions right now, though, because sure. you're talking about people who are making an hourly wage. Yep. If, if they want to leave early on Friday and we're on schedule, uh, OK, but you're not getting we're not paid. paying you. Yeah, for that. yeah, that, that, that's it. That would be an expectation for me that that makes sense. That's a that's a good distinction. Yeah. If somebody's getting paid hourly and they so want unfortunately, to unfortunately, no. Um, all of our all of our supervision is salary wages. And that's a bit of a that's a somewhat contentious point within construction as a whole in terms of what qualifies as salary and what qualifies as hourly based on um, what they call like a professional exemption. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's a bit of a gray area. Sometimes there, and, and it's true. Sometimes there's overtime. Sometimes you're home mowing your own grass or fixing your truck, waiting on the next project to start. So there's waves that comes and goes. But um, it's yeah. when you've got a bit of a pattern of that happening and, and you're saying in an email, yeah, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's covered. And then it comes up weeks later, some sub shows up ready to, you know, ready to start drywall and you haven't finished your fireproofing or something, you know, like it's, it's so something you think everything's fine. Yeah, this is a whole and different vein of discipline reaction. Like, there's usually something you need to oversee and you need to be checking. Okay. Um, I don't know of any scenario of, of our work where um, everything's been like just coasting and you can go home after, you know, three o'clock or whatever and subs are still on site working or you've like actually checked everybody's work and made them sign off that it was or was not done before they left. So there's inevitably some issue when, when guys are shirking, it's, it's inevitably, um, you're going to find what's been overlooked later. Okay. Here's here's what in in my limited view of this situation. Here's where I think I've identified the hinge. The, the linchpin is the leader of the project managers. That person is entirely responsible for what's happening out in the field, and then maybe they're back at the home office, and the PMs are all reporting back to them. Um, just real quick before I go on, does, is that accurate? There's a there's a person that the PMs report back to. Yeah, and I think that you're correct that that would be where the corporate culture begins and probably ends as well. Well, it's well, it's so, certainly yeah. they're the conduit. It's certainly where the corporate culture goes from home office to the field. So, I, I, I all right. So I feel accurate in my assessment. If I was going to try to invoke some kind of change, it would be on that person. That's the person that I can easily most easily put myself in in the shoes of because that was that's as it happens that's also kind of the shoes i was in 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 my last gig so yeah yeah that would be that would be kind of like as you described your previous work yeah you'd be in that position leading leaders okay so that person when they come across a all right we got guys coming out to do sheetrock except the framing's not done then that person and so i'm gonna go over my notes and go all right we talked two weeks ago and you told me that the framing was done and here we are, there's subcontractors coming out to do sheetrock and the framing's not done. You told me what 
again, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to go in loops. I'm going to try not to go in loops. Like the, the question is what happened? And if they go, Oh, right. well, I, I, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what the excuse would be. Like you told <laughs> me this was done. So we, okayed these subs come out to do this next part. And it turns out it's not done. There's only one viable explanation, which is you lied. So explain to me. Right. And that no, it's person be has something to be like, well, they told me they were done or they said they were sending a guy out the next day. And I believe, you know, and I trusted them. And then I had to go and run to Home Depot or whatever for the next four hours of your day. All right. And, That's, the, and uh, the owner and the, ID identified that as potential spam. So we do not need to answer that. Okay. And we agreed that the PMs are permanent. Those are, those are employees of the, of the corporation. Yep. All right. For me, if I'm the guy in charge of the PMs, the first time they lie and say, you told me this was done and we're a week out and it turns out that it is not in fact done. I'm going to, I know this sounds like I'm, I'm less nice than Josh. So I'm going to say it the way <laughs> I, I'm going to say it the way I feel it, which is I'm going to back them into a corner and get them to admit they lied. And then I'm going to mm. go, why? What's the purpose? Who does it serve? Just you? The company, our customer, the subs, who does it serve? Just you. Okay. You lied. Am I ever going to have to deal with this again? Cause I'm calling you on it. I've caught you. Mm -hmm. So do we ever need to have this conversation again where you don't lie to me? If something's not done, it's not done. Tell me it's not fucking done, but it, don't tell me it's done. And then we're as a company spending money to move to the next step. And it turns out you lied and you're going to hold up a bunch of stuff. That's, that's grounds for termination, man. Yeah. I'm 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 going down a completely different road, which is process. <clears throat> Don't in, in this in this day and age, it's really easy. If if we're getting this wrong and it's not the PM who lied, but the PM was lied to by a subcontractor that said, yeah, this guy's coming. It's going to be done. It's finished, whatever. Right. And it's not. Happens all the time. They yeah. Make you so yeah. The, the process may end up being photographs. I want a portfolio of, you know, the photographs of floors one and two. Show me that it's done. And that, yeah. when I see that, that's so where I'm saying. So you guys in. are hitting on some of the points that exist in reality, which is like daily logs and photos. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and creating that's a process around not just taking their word for it, but like, that's great. But remember, it's in the contract. <laughs> it's part of how we do business. Just take some quick photos with your phone, send it over to me so that I can schedule. So now here's the cultural stuff. Here's where we here's where we dip into this. So we're we're talking about actions to take, but here's where the the philosophy comes into play. It's everything is the leader's fault, everything. So mm -hmm. if you let's just say the top of this situation, say what? <laughs> That's unfortunate. It is, but it's also true. So let me let me paint the picture. So the person who is, um, let's just say the person at the top of this scenario is the person in charge of the PMs, the project manager manager. <laughs> the PMM, <laughs> the PMM, it, the, the blame starts with that person because they need to invoke into the project managers. This, these are the expectations. Tell me what your problems are. Tell me what the gaps are. Let's work together to see if we can cover those. And if, if the PM's problem, let's just say is, well, sometimes the subs lie. Okay, cool. Do all of you have that problem? Yes, we all have that problem. Great. Now let's, let's get our heads together as a team, as the home team and solve for that. How do we, how do we challenge those gaps? How do we overcome those gaps? And maybe it's logs and photos and whatever. 
Or maybe the PMM tells the PMs, listen, you go to your subs and you have a meeting. And maybe this is uncommon for field work, but I operate in the uncommon and in the unorthodox. This is where I'm most comfortable. I would also make it a part of your process that you have this meeting up front at the beginning before construction starts to make sure that they're all on the same page before you begin. Exactly. Oh, yeah, that's called a pre-construction meeting. Yeah. Okay. So pre-construction meeting. And the PM's job is then going to say, listen, guys, I've worked, with a, I've worked with hundreds of subs, maybe thousands. And here is a common thread. Sometimes people will tell me that the job is done. When it's not, what I'm asking you as your project manager is please don't ever lie to me. I Like I can tolerate a lot of things. I can tolerate you having what I've heard is referred to as the brown bottle fever, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is essentially being hung over. Like I've heard a lot of, a lot of garbage, yeah. but I'm telling you as the project manager for this gig, I want you guys to get paid. I want you guys to have fun. I want this job to be satisfying. And that's going to sound a little frilly and hipster and you know it's, it's gonna funny because like you're definitely that that subculture of of contractors and and the work if they're working independently etc they kind of they do have a reputation for just doing their own thing independently yeah and they're roughnecks man they don't they don't give a shit about this culture stuff they just want to go in work with their hands do the job go home like i get all that so it's it's up to the pms when they're in the field to have these pre-construction meetings and go listen here are the expectations tell me now if that's a problem, tell me now, yeah. is any, is anybody, is anybody planning on lying? And, and I'm, by the way, like this is an area where I, I think you and I differ, Josh, I am not fucking shy about harsh language. And I, I will tell somebody. And what I mean by harsh is like, don't lie. That's, that's a harsh word to some people. Like, what do you mean? lie? Like if you tell me a job's done and it's not done, yeah. you lied, you're a liar. And that, that hits people in the gut and that's purposeful. I, I do would, that on purpose. I would have a duality though. I, I'm perfectly comfortable using those words because it is harsh and lying in that scenario would be harsh. It could cost, depending on the job in, in the scenario that, that Rich is talking about, it could be tens of thousands, even into six figures. If an entire group of subcontractors is set idle for three or four days while somebody's finishing something. So I have expectations up front. If there's weather, I want to know. If they come through and somebody has actually got a sign off from the city or from the county and you've got to get your permits in place and they weren't able to get there for whatever reason and it delays things by three or four days, that's okay. Be honest. Tell me. It's yeah, all right. Just tell me. And by the way, by you, by the way of you communicating to me what the problem is, we now have the opportunity to troubleshoot. If you just go, oh, well, I guess we can't do anything. And then you sit on your ass for three yeah. days and I don't know why you're sitting on your ass. I was not given the opportunity to lead our way around this or even explore. Yeah. Get on the phone, you know, as a, can you imagine taking it off the hands of a, an on the ground supervisor as the PM and just saying, Hey, if we're having problems with the County and getting somebody out there, let me know. I'll make the phone calls. I will support you in any way that I can. Right. And that's, that's where we dial back to it's, it's the leader's fault. So from the subs, it's the PM's fault. Anything that's going on with the subs, it's the PM's fault. Anything that is, and, and as it trickles up and affects the company, then it goes to the PMM's fault. So it starts with the person who's in charge of the thing. And in this case, we, I think we've established that's the PMM, the project manager's manager. He needs to have a culture. He or she needs to have a culture established with the project managers that says, this is what we're about. And that includes expectations, um, leniencies, forgivenesses, 
you know, it, here's, here's, here's our map. Here's our fucking battle map. Like this is what we're about. And either our subs are going to fit in or not. And if I'm going an extra step, I might say like, have, have a list of subs and then have a list of backup subs. Because if these guys can't adhere to the culture. Yeah. yeah your bench. Yeah. And that's essentially, you bench that's essentially yeah. your, your bidding process. You always have, you know, at least a, a handful of bids, let's say three minimum per trade. And so you know what it takes to go to the next guy. Typically that's a price increase and it's in the subcontract of the guy you, you actually signed up. It's in their agreement. They can't do their work. They have to actually pay for the next person to do it. So this might without be, this might be ballsy to their contract. So comes out of their pocket to fail. This might be ballsy, but as a PM, I might go to the guy that we went with. Let's say he's got the lowest bid. And I might just be real transparent with that guy and go, listen, our company's going with you because you cost the less. You cost the least. Am I gonna get what I pay for? Or are you gonna get this job done as promised in the amount of time with the amount of money? Like, tell me now. Tell me, tell me yeah. what to expect in, from you. In those situations, what, what you often do is um, you allow a budget contingency. You actually go to the owners more than you go to the sub and you say, hey, this is your apartment you're building, right? So you say, we can go with this guy. He's $50,000 less, but we already know he's going to come with a problem. So you need to give me a budget of at least 20000 to to make up for whatever mistake this guy is going to make or whatever the reason he's so low, right? We're going we're gonna to have to pay for something. So we'll get a contingency to cover for that variable. Um, so I'm impressed with the the amount of things that you guys have come up with um, in just this sort of spitball session that do reflect the actual practices in organizations like this, having not come from this background. Well, thank you. Uh, the one thing that's consistent across any organization is the humans that are in it. Um, it's, it's funny cause I'm, I keep going back in my head in the real world. We just released episode five, which is failure and vulnerability. If your PMs and the PMM are having regular meetings, you know, whether that's, I don't know if that's daily or weekly or biweekly or whatever it is, those meetings where they can come in and say, Hey, I've run into this with this subcontractor and they can put it on the table as a failure because maybe they missed a detail or there isn't a process or policy in place. And the five or six or seven of you can kick that around and actually come up with a process so that the other six people don't go through that somewhere else down the road. That's where this culture pays off in dividends and return on the investment of investing time, training, you're going to have this group of cohesive project managers who maybe can even step in because once you have a, a set policy and process around how you do things, somebody can go on vacation for a week or two and another project manager can just step in. They can verify things. They can make sure the, the photo logs or whatever else that are that are new processes are in place and you're going to see less balls dropped. But. You're going to have an environment where it's safe to say, hey, you know, we're having issues with this subcontractor. Have you all run into this type of thing before? And it's not something to hide or cover up because it makes you look bad. It's you being vulnerable to your peers and saying, hey, I'm running into a legitimate issue that could cost us all money. What are you guys doing in these scenarios? And you're as a team building a stronger and stronger company culture and honestly, a better bottom line. Yeah. And I think our home team does a decent job of saying okay, this, this stucco guy really screwed us over on a project. So everybody take a look at your sub list and see if his name shows up. 
um, and, you know, an upcoming project might drop them because of it. And so that's like one layer of communication, but what's not happening is like, okay, tell me about processes that you as a project manager are doing. And so it's sort of fire management more than it is like examining our practices to say, oh, this was, you know, what I did to actually you know, run yeah. this a little bit more smoothly is, you know, A, B, and C on documentation or communication. So it's sort of, sort of one-off training as things come up that we could definitely make more about um, team training and team meetings and communication between PMs. So I like the, I, I like those suggestions and ideas of making the cohesion of, um, at the PM level. So whoever's in charge of the PMM, like that person also has some responsibility in going, what are the challenges? You know, what are you experiencing? Yeah, you're, you're at the top. There's no, there's nobody else. Nobody okay. else higher than that. Okay. All right. So great. And then I, I, I stand by my, it's always the leader's fault. Um, <laughs> until it's right. not. Uh, until it's not. That's true. There is that part of it. Um, but yeah, like there has to be, in my opinion, there has to be an environment where people are allowed to make mistakes and fail as long as they're communicative about it. Lying? Yeah. That's not, not an option. Okay. I mean, it's never okay. It's like, like somebody's out. Yeah, there, there's there's sort of an opportunity to make mistakes, but you got to also understand that mistakes in this field can be catastrophic. Oh, yeah. Either Tens of in, thousands. Injury, of death, of thousands. or a ton of money. So it really is like, okay, a sub made a mistake, but who let him go home that day? Yeah. Like that, that's, it's your job to point out that mistake that day. You don't. Hey, that that means you're not watching or you don't know. Do you not know that that's a mistake? Do you not know that that roof leaks or do you not? Did you not look? So maybe the cultural so the thing. Quality maybe, control is real time. Maybe the cultural, I don't know, insert here is an agreement on how do we handle mistakes. Like if everybody's kind of catch as catch can and each PM kind of does their own thing, that that maybe is what needs to be shored up. How is each PM handling a mistake made? Are they taking responsibility for it themselves, which to me would be key? And then once they take responsibility, what are they going to do different next time? Like this is where Josh was talking about process. A mistake was made. How do we handle it? How do we handle that? Yeah. Not how you as the PM, that's the initial conversation. How have you been handling it? That's how we collect the data. But this conversation, yeah. this meeting is going to be about how do we handle this going forward? Yeah. Don't make the mistake as the the top tier leader or the manager of the PMM as saying you're going to do it this way. Bring the project managers in, get their insight, get skin in the game, because if they come up with the process and then you capture that, you have something to hold them accountable to because it was their idea. They agreed to it and it gives them a sense of engagement and buy in. If you just start putting together policies and processes blind, you definitely come off like the white tower. Like they don't even understand what we're going through, but they're telling us how to do what we need to do. Right. So your, get their input. On how to do it. Yeah. Get their yeah. buy in, get them to say how they want to do it and then get them to kind of agree. Yeah. So, one more, one more interesting challenge to push back on you. You talked about the, you know, the bench, um, but I want to, you know, suggest, it, or you'd mentioned something about, you know, um, you know, allows for um, termination, right? Or that that's something cause for termination. Right. So, I mean, have you guys been in scenarios where like terminating an employee is actually the hardest thing for your, for your outcome, for your, you know, your project or your, your, um, result 
They're like, well, actually, the worst thing I can do right now is get rid of this person, even though they're failing in these ways, because then I got to get a new person and train them. And now I'm even further behind. Termination is almost always the hardest thing. I mean, almost regardless of the circumstances, yeah. I will say that for my version of it is terminating a leader, because when I when I fire a leader, there is a whole team of people now that have to be supported and the person whose job it is to support them is has yet to be filled. And it usually took weeks because I was extremely picky about leaders that I hired. Mm-hmm. And and I had a whole process that I went through. And that's that's to say nothing of the company that I worked for who dragged everything out. Anything that cost them money, I, they would turn into a centurion effort. Like it was uh, um, not to <laughs> I'm trying not to go down that road. So Termination is is always the hardest decision because you have a you have a gap to fill and it's usually a massive one. So, like I said, in my experience, there were people on the line that were waiting for support, and then other people would have to jump in and double or triple their workload in order to make sure that team was supported. And then if you're if you're going down to sole contributor level, terminating a person that means that customers are now being put on hold for our our work level our our workforce. Um, you know, we were in a contact center. So somebody being terminated meant there was one less person manning the phones, higher hold times for customers, which causes them stress, which causes them to be more belligerent and on and on and on. Yeah. So terminating. Well, I mean, you can imagine something like a, you know, construction deliverable, you have a, you have a schedule. And so one of the things that you can be, you know, in trouble for is, Hey, you're behind schedule or you're over budget. Yeah. And getting rid of somebody who was managing that is like one of the most detrimental things you could do to that schedule. But you got to think of it as like an investment. Sometimes it's a tough dynamic of like who holds the actual power here. For sure. It's, it's more like thinking of it like an investment. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to can this person and then I'm going to have to suffer the consequences for the immediate future. But then this is going to pay off long-term if I can replace this person with a decent qualified individual who's not going to lie and yada, yada. Yeah, there's a double-edged sword when you let somebody go, but there's a trade-off here too. So just as an example, if they're doing things consistently and it's putting you behind and it's costing money, you know, let's say that this person makes seventy-five dollars or $100,000 a year as a project manager. If that mistake is happening two or three times a year, that's costing two hundred dollars or 300000 and it's because of things that are dubious... I can fire them, hire somebody else, get them trained and get them in place. And it will cost me less money than keeping that person and losing a half a million dollars in three or four different projects over the course of, you know, 12 to 18 months. The other thing is if you're in some sort of downtime, but if you're in the middle of a project, you might find that their absence and that time it takes you to train will now cost you significantly more than that. And that's, that's what I was just going to say in summation is it's probably best to stay on top of them, communicate, hold them infinitely accountable. And when the project ends and you hit that lull, that would be where you would let them go. And you can already be looking at bringing on somebody else in the background. So Rich, uh, that's, that's, that's what we got. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What do you, what do you think? You guys explored uh, that really thoroughly. What sounds right for you in your scenario? And, you know, and I'm I'm happy to hear that, you know, as you guys apply the things that you've found in other areas, uh, other industries that it, you know, there is consistency and there is some um, 
some kind of universal ideas. Obviously, every every place, every person, every team, every project's unique, but it's good. To, I think it's good to to know that your um, philosophies have some concrete teeth to them as well. All right, thanks, man. Is there is there a takeaway for you? Is there anything that you feel like you have to personally? And like, I know your role may not be directly tied to the to the PMM or anything, but is there anything? Well, even what like- I can do, right, is some of what you mentioned the um, so that PM level cohesion. Some of that is just consistency of information practices, just inner inner company communication, and checking in more often than being on an island and sort of dealing with issues one one at a time as they come up. Um, the I think the original spirit of the question is a little bit is a, is a little bit unaddressed, but it's also not the the it doesn't have to be the primary takeaway about kind of connecting those um, those sort of stigma separated field versus office types. Um, there may never be, you know, a perfect buy-in where they're like, oh I love office people now. <laughs> so that some of that will just be a it's never just a reality, but um, I do I do agree fully with the um, so the onus being on that PM level. Even when what they're doing, hey, I'm sure if you talk to them, they're like, well, it's my super who's the one, you know. And then the super says, well, it's the subs, and so it always always trickles down to the next person's fault. And um, so I think somebody like a PM having to acknowledge like, nope, I will be the end all be all. There's no safety net and it will always be my fault and I can live with that. You know, that's a, I think that's a big step. Yeah. Hyper accountability. That's, what, so is that's what my takeaway, I guess. Hyper accountability is what makes badass leaders. Yeah. And, and it's that uh, plan, you know, we've, we've talked before failures, just a part of life. It, it, there, something's always going to go wrong. I'm sure in your experience, you have never had a perfect build that came in exactly at or, you know, God, I'm, I'm sure it would be amazing if it came in below budget and what was budgeted out. But those failures are going to happen. It's the plan. It's it's not, oh, it's the, the subs fault. Well, so what's the plan so that you can hold the subs accountable? Um, yeah, and and it just go. works backwards there from go. there from an accountability and support standpoint, not blame. Yeah. And again, kind of, as I mentioned, like, well, it's who let that sub go home that day. Well, that's the super. And then well, why weren't they there? Who let that super go home that day? Well, that's the PM and you can keep going, but there's nowhere else really to go once you hit that. So it's like, okay, yeah, we, I, I'm not the one who actually forgot to, you know, finish that unit of baseboard or whatever, but I am the one who is in charge of the person who's supposed to confirm that it was done. I didn't ask them to confirm it or whatever. So you can, you can kind of jujitsu it into being your responsibility, no matter what I think. Man, you, you might've given us our tagline. That's exactly right. You can jujitsu in, into being your fault almost no matter what. And you should, you should always try my, my tagline for leaders was it's always your fault until it's not. And there, we'll get into that, I'm sure, with with other calls. But like, it has to start with the PMM who goes, "This is this is this is what we do. This is how we roll." And then the PMs are then communicating that to the supers, who are then communicating that to the subs, and so on. Um, hey, Rich, thanks, man. I super appreciate you yep. calling in and giving us something to uh, to chew on. And and better yet, you gave us something that was super outside of the world that we've usually you know, done our, done our game in. So this was, this was a nice challenge. So thanks for calling in. Sure, man. Yeah. It. Good, good luck getting the audio to kind of balance out on this thing. <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> Only the audience will All be right. able to tell. <laughs>
All right, man. All right. Have, a, have a good day. Thanks. We'll you talk too. to you guys Thanks, later. Rich. We should call these from the hip. From the hip. So, um, little little summary about this. This is just kind of occurring to me, and this is I think this is important because this ties in nicely to our philosophy, which is kind of what we're trying to uh, educate people on or, or communicate here. It always starts at the top of the thing. So, in this case, the project manager's manager, the person back in the home office who is the keeper of the culture and going, this is how we roll. This is how we do things when we're out in the field. I hand this to the project managers who are then in charge of said project and they have supers reporting to them who are then responsible for subcontractors. This starts at home. It starts in the home office. And that if that culture isn't super strong and, it, and that person isn't taking accountability, then nobody below them is going to take accountability. It will always be somebody else's fault. And it's super easy for them to point away because the guy at the top yeah. is pointing away. This is from from our first couple of episodes where it has to start with that leader. The things that you have to set the example in with your expectations, with being vulnerable, with sharing your epic fails, all these different things where you are the one who sets the stage, you have to own that piece as the leader. And if you are setting that stage and stuff still isn't happening, then it is now that person's responsibility to communicate, to dive deep, ask the questions and go, what's, well, what's happening? And then, as you mentioned earlier in the call, you know, finding out and, and getting them to invest, what, what do they think are the solutions and getting them to come up with ideas and plans. And they can all do something different. They, you know, each PM, just because we have a plan and a process doesn't mean they can't do things differently that works for them and their style. But yeah. if we have a base to operate off of, this is our culture, this is what we're about, then their plans will make sense. It'll give them consistency. They'll build better relationships with those subcontractors and, and with the supervisors. And that just leads to, again, better relationships where you're not looking for the name that you need to cross off the list, but you're looking excitedly for the people who you know are going to kick butt and follow and toe the line and get your work done in a timely fashion. As a reminder to everybody, uh, we are taking calls. If you uh, have a challenge, a work challenge, a leadership challenge, something you want to bounce off of us now that you've kind of seen an example of it. So if that hasn't scared you off, please email us at authorityoptionalpodcast.com. Also, if you're inclined and you're on Instagram, please follow us at at authorityoptional. I got one more. I want to do a shill. We've never done a shill here before. Okay. In these scenarios where people are calling in and we're talking to them and taking them through different scenarios with, you know, the humans that we all work with, if you hear something where you want to dive deeper and you actually are looking for some assistance in developing a culture, please send us an email and reach out. Uh, and we would love to talk to you about the potential for consulting and actually helping you develop the culture that you all want to work in. And if you're not having any fun, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Bye.